Welcome back to the Cross Sands as we walk through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, I'm Father Bryce uh, here with Jennifer Ely as uh, we speak today about the burial of Jesus. Mm-hmm. In the Creed, we say that he uh, was he was our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Why? Why, why do we need to know that he was buried? What's uh, what's the significance of that line? Why, why does it matter? that Jesus was physically laid in a tomb? Well, part of it has to do with, with something that we talked about a while back when we talked about how Christ had to be fully God and fully man in order to redeem man because it takes a man within um, within the understanding of, of men to redeem them. But it had to be a man above other men as well. So in order to conquer this thing which we had brought on ourselves, which is death, Christ needed to go through it in order to sanctify it. It's kind of the same idea of the sanctification of of mankind through his humanity. So in in suffering death, or like um, it says in the Catechism here in this first part, that not only was he to, to die for our sins, but to suffer that death, means he had to go through the whole the whole process of it the separation of the body from the soul the uh we we know he wasn't corrupt which we'll talk about in a second but to go through that process of dying to actually be dead in all intents and purposes in order to then reverse the the eternal effects of the death that we had earned for ourselves so basically, the fact that Jesus is buried is proof that he died for real. Right. It wasn't just, um, he didn't just seem to die. There are some people who actually believe that, uh, especially in the early church. They were called docetists, and that just comes from the Greek word for meaning to, to seem. And they said, well, it just seemed like Jesus died on the cross, but he really didn't. It was as if like, like Jesus like left his body and there was a mannequin there on the cross but no 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 no. jesus like you said jen suffered he suffered death he did that for us he shows like saint thomas aquinas says why jesus go to the cross for real um to show us how much he loved us and i think there's a parallel too with the death of lazarus here i remember Mm -hmm. studying this with dr petrie how jesus knew that lazarus was ill and did not go to him immediately instead he stayed where he was for several days and then went after Lazarus had already died. And part of that was because of the Jewish, what the the Jews held to be true about about death, which was that, isn't it that it takes a few days or so to to really be sure of that death? Uh, They they would say on the fourth day, the body would start to decompose. And some people... Uh, extrapolating from that would say, well, that's really like when the soul would leave the body was on the fourth day. So Jesus went to Lazarus after four days so that everybody knew like he was dead, dead. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we know that the soul leaves the body at the moment of death. That's the definition of death. Um, but the uh, decomposition. Right. right that gone. understanding of the Jewish people at that point, Jesus was fulfilling that that understanding as well in in taking three days after his death to rise again on the on that last on that third day. That his body is, is, or sorry, his soul has really left his body. It's gone. And yet, on that last day, he is yet again within his body. He's raised up in this glorified body. It's uh, quite amazing. I always find how the Lord 
um, like 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 loves us where we are, um, like takes into consideration the things that we think. So so in that example, the Lord, um, he he didn't play into this idea, which was wrong, that the soul doesn't leave the body on the fourth day. But at the same time, um, he was resurrected on the third day before anybody could have any sense to say that his body started to decompose. Um, even, even though the body, uh, we know that the body starts to decompose like immediately, right? At the time of death, um, Jesus, I, I, I guess, um, I guess rose again before anyone could even think that his body may have been, may have decomposed. But we know that his body did in fact not decompose because... Because, and this was something that I learned as I was delving into this more deeply, I didn't actually know, <clears throat> excuse me, about how we know that he did not decompose, other than the fact that obviously he came back in this glorified body. But the reasoning behind that is that this is, this is the God-man, right? This is more than just a human person. This is not God hovering over a person and, like you said, leaving before before death actually comes in this is the god man who uh, his divinity is still present in both body and soul so when the soul of christ left his body um john damascene says in in the catechism he says that uh in the divine person the word and death although separated from each other both remained with one and the same person of the word. So both his soul and his body were still divine and still held within it that inability, basically, to be corrupted. Um, and so when he was... Um, well, they're this, human attached to this divine right. person. So this, this divine power preserved Christ. Um, that This is what Thomas says, Thomas Aquinas. He says the divine power preserved Christ's body from corruption. Which is beautiful because, you know, we read about that in the Psalms. We read about that in, uh, which, uh, in Acts. You shall not let your beloved know corruption. Right. You shall not let your beloved know decay. And mm -hmm. so he's, uh, he's kind of filling, fulfilling yet another um, piece of biblical truth in that. It's not, not necessarily a, mess a messianic prophecy, but it's this, it's the truth of who God is, that he will not allow his beloved to know corruption. Well, it was a messianic prophecy. Just nobody <laughs> knew it, I don't think, until Jesus came until and, and, and showed it. it. Um, okay, so Jesus was like in the tomb on what day of the week? He was put into it on Friday evening or afternoon. Uh-huh. And then he stayed there on Saturday. Yes. Right, which is the Sabbath. Yes. And there's a commandment that on the Sabbath, like you don't do, you don't do any work. Um, now... We celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, in at, at some point. But the reason we do it on Sunday is because, like, like Jesus rose from the dead on that day. Yeah, um, and that's the the biggest deal ever. Um, so I think this is really cool um, that Jesus, even in his death, kept the law. Mm. Like even in his death, he rested on on the sabbath and i, I was uh, I, honestly i was convicted of this um recently uh, you know i to be really honest like i uh when i was in seminary i did a really good job of taking the sabbath i didn't do any work on sundays for like the last i think four years in the seminary and um 
praise the Lord. And then I became a priest and like now I work on Sundays. And so, so somehow that got translated into my mind to like, like do all of your work on Sundays and, um, and don't always like take your day off during the week. And I, I perceive the Lord to really, like I've been really convicted and I think it's from the Lord lately. It's like, no, like you're supposed to like take that time and rest. And mm-hmm. well, if Jesus did it, like even when he was dead, yeah. uh, if Jesus did even in the midst of the most important work right, in the history of the world, the redemption of humanity, mm-hmm. then 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 I, that my work, my work's not, a, not as important as this. Yeah. That's... Um, I even though I'm a priest, so I do the most important work in the world by celebrating mass and hearing confessions. But but that that only is participation in his Paschal mystery. So if he rested in the midst of the important, most important work ever, then I should be able to rest in the midst of mine. Yeah, that just kind of proves the perfection of God's plan that he knew, the Father knew this was exactly how it was going to play out and knew, okay, he's, he's still going to fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's beautiful. Um, I, had, I have a question for you, Father. So one of the things that we hear in the works of St. Paul when he's talking about the crucifixion is that, Christ became sin in order that to to release us from sin. Mm-hmm. So by what does that mean? I I have never completely understood that passage of scripture that he who knew no sin became sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it's just because we don't talk like ancient Jews did. Um, <laughs> okay. To to he became sin means simply that he became a sin offering. Um, so in the book of Leviticus, we see all the different kinds of sacrifices that you would make to God. So if you wanted to um, say thank you to God, you'd make this kind of sacrifice. And if you were making like a vow, you made this kind of sacrifice. And if you sinned and you wanted God to forgive you for your sins, you made this other kind of sacrifice, which was called literally in the Hebrew. If you open up you know, your book of Leviticus in Hebrew, it'll say a sin. Yeah, I left mine at home. Yeah, well, I, 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 it's <laughs> over here, but I can't read it that quickly. Um, so it, that's all it says. So if you open up your English Bible to Leviticus and you see the, um, hey, you sinned, you got to go give a, make a sacrifice, what do you do? It says sin offering, right. which makes sense because of the way we speak in English. Right. However, in Hebrew, it just says sin. So in Paul, Paul's thinking like, Paul's a, a Jew, he's a Pharisee, he's thinking, I, I, the more and more I learn about Paul, the more and more I'm convinced that he's thinking in Hebrew. Probably. Yeah, like he's he's very familiar with the Greek world, obviously. <laughs> um, and I mean, he's a Roman citizen. But like the expressions that he uses, even though he's writing it in Greek, uh, seem like he's thinking like a thinking in Hebrew. So um, so he says a sin, that just means a sin, a offering. sin offering. So that was a long explanation to a really simple question. But hey, we uh, need it sometimes. Um, so... To bounce back, actually, to when we were talking about the corruption, how Christ was was incorrupt in his death and before his resurrection. We have today in the world, we have saints who we consider, we call them kind of the incorruptibles. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we touched on this before. It's kind of sounding familiar in my brain. We might have talked about it like way, way back or maybe in one of the future podcasts that we've already recorded, which is (laughs) confusing me time-wise. But... um, can we also say, so these are people who were obviously living, living as Christ in the world very, very intently and very, very, um, as perfectly as they could, basically. Can we then say that 
they were so united to the divinity as that's what is causing their incorruptibility or is it is it just simply a sign from god that these are holy people and that the mir- the miracles of god obviously like go beyond death mm-hmm. well uh, god usually likes to show his power and through his gl- and his glory to his servants who are most closely united to him um I, I don't think that we no I, I know that we we wouldn't want to say that um, somebody whose body is incorrupt by a miracle after they die uh, is necessarily holier than another saint whose bo- whose body did corrupt but um, Jesus likes to from time to time show forth various um, mysteries various attributes like that he lived in his body through various saints for particular for particular reasons which may or may not be known to us so for example um, some saints have the stigmata like uh, Francis Sisi or Padre Pio some saints have other like versions of the stigmata uh, like with the crown of thorns like St Catherine of Siena or St Rose St Rose of Lima these other saint these other saints um, St Bernadette maybe um, have are incorrupt. So I don't think it's necessarily that a God is saying something particular about the saint, at least not as far as I know, or as far as I've ever read, or as far as I can think out how that would work, at least mm-hmm. right now. But it's that God, the all these saints are united very closely to, to Jesus. And so Jesus shows forth this part of the mystery of his life in this saint, and then this part in the other saint, and then this part uh, in in the other saint. I like that. That's a really good way of, of thinking of it. Because that was immediately what came to mind when I read that. That section was the incorruptible saints, mm-hmm. obviously. So the last part of this really tiny section that we've somehow been talking about for like 10 minutes here. Just 15 um, minutes. Just 15 minutes. Yeah. It's fine. Um, is our participation in the death yes. of Christ. Which comes about later in the catechism in much more depth. But which, of course, you know. We had we have to talk about here because, like you were saying, all of this is exceedingly important to the truth of our faith and how we as Christians live as Christ. And so the way that we do that, the way that we enter into the Christian mystery is that beautiful sacrament that opens the gates of heaven to us, which, of course, is baptism and baptism. Um, the, the catechism says it really beautifully because we we have different ways that we baptize and that we cleanse in the church. You know, we have things like the penitential rite, wherein those who are already baptized kind of cleanse their souls. We have the, um, the sprinkling rite during Easter season where we are reminded of our baptism, but the catechism says that the full sign, the fullness of the sign of baptism is the immersion, um, in, and it, it, it is efficacious and it's it's a more full sign. I keep saying full because it is obviously still valid to do the pouring of water over the head of a child or, or an adult for baptism. But the fullness of the sign lies in immersion because to be immersed in water is to be that sign of Christ who was, I guess, for, you know, for symmetry's purpose, immersed in the tomb, immersed mm-hmm. in death. Mm-hmm. Um and so we are baptized into his death. We are baptized into his resurrection, into his life. 
Mm-hmm. So baptism is really where we 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 die to the old self. We die to you know the 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 pagan life that we have you know if it's longer or shorter have lived up to that point. And so we we die to that old self and we are we are born into Christ and can move more quickly towards sainthood from that point forward. Uh, I think that St. Paul says somewhere, um, don't you know that you've died? Mm. It's like St. Paul's like exasperated. <laughs> like you're doing all this stupid stuff, sin, right? Sin is uh, foolish, though we do it. Um, you, you're doing all this stupid stuff. Like, don't you know that you're already dead? Like, don't you know? And I, I don't, I don't know where that is. I think it's he says it like that. But I know because I'm reading it right now in the Bible that he does say um, in Romans chapter six, "How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the the death." is simply so that we can live. The death is like the seed which is planted in the ground and is destroyed, really, as, as the new plant grow, as the new plant grows, grows up. Do you not know like, that you have died in the old life of sin? So in, in the, uh, the sacramentality, it's something on the inside is working on the outside. We see the invisible in the visible. Like, that's why it's better to baptize by immersion. Um, and so you, you think about it. You literally gotta gotta hold your breath, and then you you're in the water, and then like I don't know if you can hear that. The, the <laughs> you hold your breath, and then when you come out, like you take this this big, big, big breath. Like oh wow, like I'm I'm alive. They they say I've, I've never got I've never got to do this. Like I really want to, um, but I've never been in a church like that had an immersion baptism font, um, and they're kind of hard to install, and you gotta make sure you install it right, otherwise you have leakage, and and you gotta maintain them, but um, those practical problems, but uh, they say that people do this with babies too. Mm. Um, and and the way the way you do it is I, I can't show it to you because it's a podcast. But like you, you, the baby goes like head first, and you like pass them through the water, um, and they go head first so that the water just kind of like flows over their nose and not up into it. Mm. So they they're fine. It's perfectly healthy for the baby. Uh, and the baby, they tell me the people who've done this, they say the baby knows like even when to when to hold his breath or her breath. Mm. And so like you, you dunk the baby in, you know, so and so I baptize you in the name of the Father and dunk, and you hear it too with the babies. Like when the baby comes out, the and it, it's so shoot, oh wow, like something is different. Like it's like the breathing in mm. of the new life. Uh, of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I, I did have a church growing up. Well, not growing up, but in college. Um, shout out to the University of Florida, the Catholic Gators at St. Augustine's. Our parish, we did have full immersion baptisms. And I remember sponsoring this one beautiful woman through her RCIA, through all of it, and watching her be immersed in this pool. And just, it's there's so much totality to it when they're immersed. And it's just such, it's true. It's such a fullness of the sign because one minute you see her, she's perfectly dry. Her hair still looks nice and her makeup is not like running off of her face. And then, you know, five seconds later, she comes out and she is, she looks different. She's obviously she's, she's soaked. Um, (laughs) but you know, she, she is taking that first breath of new life and you, you can just see it so fully. So 
that was such a powerful moment to witness that and to be to be her you know godparent standing there with her in that and just being like wow this happened to me as a as a child this has happened to all of these people here present and now it's now she shares in that new life because it's just so obvious all right so what if though we have the baptism by pouring? Well, it's it's clearly valid. Um, in the scriptures, for example, Ezekiel, I'll sprinkle uh, clean water upon you, and you would be cleansed. Right. Uh, so cleansing can happen, not by full immersion. But um, I, a priest told me this one time. He said I, I used to uh, another priest. I, I used to always make sure that the water was warm mm. for the baptism of babies. Um, because you know, if it's warm, it doesn't like shock them so much when it goes over their head and they, they don't like, they, they don't cry and stuff. And he said that one time I, either it took a long time or I forgot or whatever. Um, and the water was cold and when I poured it over the head, it, the, the little baby like started screaming. And I, I said, Hmm, that's actually a better sign of the baptism. Mm-hmm. Like this baby is going through this like spiritual death to be born in to be born into a new life. So I uh, I, I I don't I, I don't give babies cold <laughs> water on per, on purpose. Uh, the wonderful acolytes and sacristans here uh, here they they set up they set up the water. Um, so whatever it is is what it is. But um, but I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah. Um, like the uh, I, I just even in the things like. Uh, like a baby's reaction, we can see uh, from time to time, like a sign of of the reality, as if our eyes are open to it, mm-hmm. and if we ask the Lord to to show us the like the reality through what's going on. All right, well, that was uh, that was a lot on the burial of Jesus. Uh, so, in in summary, right, Jesus is really human. He really died, and now he lives forever. He took the Sabbath seriously, and so should we. And in being baptized, we are baptized into his death. Don't remember that you are dead. Uh, remember, like, no more sin. Like, but live the life of the new covenant, like the life of the resurrection, life of joy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest, Jesus says in John 10. So passing through the passion and the death, may we be Easter people. May we live the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see you next time. God bless you.